invite you this time to turn with me in your pew Bibles to page 61, where we find our scripture reading this morning, Genesis chapter 37, verse 25 through 26, or through 36, 25 through 36. Starting the reading in verse 23. You know the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty, there was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of his cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, The boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornamented robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, in mourning will I go down to the grave to my son. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. As far as the reading of God's holy word, may he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. I was doing some reading and I came across an article where a Christian song uh, led a young man to confess to a murder. A Christian song by Big Daddy Weave called Redeemed. This was three years after the murder had taken place, the murder of Cesar Lopez Flores. His killer pleaded guilty, saying he found God while incarcerated, which urged him to confess. In a statement that shocked the court, Danny Deshay Holmes pleaded guilty minutes after his trial began last week. This was an article written August 26, 2019. He'll serve a life sentence in prison, one which he says he'll wear as a badge of honor. In a lengthy 20-minute statement, Holmes addressed the court, explaining his decision to confess to the murder. He said over a year ago, God changed his life. He felt as if God was putting pressure on him to tell the truth and confess to the murder. I knew the Lord was just on me, weighing on me over and over, Holmes said Friday. 
I'm 30 years old and I've been fighting for nothing all my life. I've been fighting for gangs. I ain't never fought for anything that made sense. But I knew the Lord was telling me to fight for him this time. I just knew he was stirring in my spirit. And these lyrics, Big Daddy Weave in the song Redeem says, Then you look at this prisoner and say to me, Son, stop fighting a fight that's already been won. And so he made up his mind when he heard that the Holy Spirit led him to confess to a murder. The redemption tale struck a chord with those in the courtroom. As Holmes spoke, the room filled as people wandered in to hear the confession. His family sobbed during his statement. And he looked at his mother and he says, Mama, you know I love you. But Mama, I promise you, your baby boy, he's going to serve the Lord forever. And Holmes recounted his flashy lifestyle to the court. He had money, lots of it, designer goods, expensive cars. But now he plans to tell the young people he meets in prison about finding salvation through Jesus Christ, not cash or luxuries. He shared that he's been praying for the victim's family. He learned while incarcerated that the man that he had murdered was a father with three children. And Holmes was a father himself. He realized his actions robbed three girls from life with their father. And he confessed in the courtroom, my consequences deserve a life sentence. It can be hard to live with the weight of guilt, of a crime that you've committed, a wrong that you've done all your life. Like this man who held on to it, but when God got a hold of him, he had to confess it. And we see a bit of that in this story this morning. These brothers, what it does to them to hold on to this all these days, all these years. Uh, the weight of their wickedness, the indecency of their indifference. We see this, right? But we also see God at work mysteriously through the wickedness of these brothers, through the, their indifference, through their decision to sell Joseph into slavery. And we have to hold these two things in tension. The wrong that was done and what God intended for it. And that's why I love the words of the Heidelberg Catechism when it says, Everything in life comes to us, not by chance, but by God's fatherly hand. And when you read that, it says famine, drought, evil, good. It includes everything. Everything comes to us. Not by some unknown force, mysterious force. Not because the universe brings it to us. Not because... Um, we get what is coming to us. We do good and we get good or, or whatever karma we think of. That's not how things happen. Everything in this life comes to us, not by chance, but by God's fatherly hand. So I want to look at a few points this morning as we continue to look at this moment in Joseph's life when he is betrayed by his brothers and ultimately sold to these Ishmaelites, Midianites, and carried off to Egypt. And the first point I want to talk about is the weight of wickedness. Verse 23 through 25a, we see this moment when the brothers decide to throw him into the cistern. And then they sat down to eat their meal. I talked a little bit about it last week, but I want to read the brothers' own commentary on it in Genesis chapter 42, verse 21. We read this. This is what the brothers have to say about this moment. They said to one another, Surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life. 
But we would not listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. This is before they even know that this is Joseph before them. So this is what I want you to think of. We don't think of this very often, but this is what I want you to think of. This is after decades have passed. Decades have passed where these brothers, in their jealousy, which grew into hatred, which grew in a desire to murder, cast their young brother into the pit when he was crying out to them, please help me, please help me. And they sat down and they ate their meal and they did not listen to a thing that he said. And in their coldness and in their bitterness, they sold him into slavery and faked his death to their father. That weighed on them their whole life. They never forgot it. They carried it with them. It was a great and deep burden. There is a price for wickedness. There is a price for carrying what you've done with you, making it a secret, keeping it. You always have to be thinking about what you say around your father. What if you slip and say something you shouldn't say? You always have to be carrying it with you. There is a weight to wickedness. And the cost is not worth it. That young man confessed to a murder knowing that he would receive a life sentence. But he said he would wear it like a badge of honor because he was now out in the open. He wasn't hiding anymore. He confessed his sins to, his, to God and he's been forgiven and he's confessing his sins and his crimes before the court. And to that family who lost a father. The weight of wickedness is hard to carry. It's a heavy load. Maybe some people this morning here are carrying something with you, something that you've done, something that you've never told anybody about, and it weighs you down. It's something that you continue to think about. It's something that you continue to know you have to put effort into. You have to hide. You have to keep it hidden. You have to keep it secret. And what I want you to know this morning is that confession brings healing. May we confess our sins to one another and be healed, James says. The weight of wickedness is not worth carrying. It's not worth carrying. And there's nothing that we could do that would keep us from receiving the grace and mercy of our Heavenly Father because of Jesus Christ. And there's nothing we could do that would make others who are sinners, who understand that we've been forgiven by Jesus Christ, think differently of you. The weight of wickedness is not worth carrying. But what about the indecency of indifference? This is, brings it to a whole other level. Joseph's brothers not only sat down to eat their meal, but as they're enjoying a nice meal with one another, they look up and they see a caravan of Ishmaelites. Now there's a little confusion here about are the Ishmaelites, are the Midianites, are these synonymous terms? Um, there's lots of discussion about this confusion, uh, what this means. Um, there's lots of uh, ways to understand this. One way that, that was described to me 
is that the Ishmaelites are the, the ones who are uh, running this caravan and the Midianites are the ones that work for them. These Midianite merchants are, are uh, the one doing the dealings with these brothers on their behalf, on the Ishmaelites' behalf. But nonetheless, what, we, what they see here is these camels coming through, the Ishmaelites coming through, and Judah, who starts to take a role here, he's going to have another chapter after this, where you see this transition from Reuben to Judah. Judah began to take this prominence. Um, it's, it's not really seen in a good light here, though. Judah says, hey, guys, it's kind of dirty business killing your own brother, getting his blood on your hands. I, I mean, do we really want to do that? Um, but this is what we should do. Not, what are we thinking? We need to take Joseph back to our father. We need to confess to our father that we have harbored bitterness in our hearts and that we actually thought about killing his very son. We need to, we need to make this clean. No, they said, why don't we just make some cash on the side? And what we can do is we can take Joseph and we can sell him to these Ishmaelites and make a little bit of money. So the Midianite merchants came by. His brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern. And imagine this moment. Imagine Joseph is crying out, Come on, guys, let me out. I promise I won't say anything to Dad. I promise just let me out, guys. Can't you hear me? Don't you know I'm, I'm hurt down here? I hurt my leg. Can you please get me out of here? Can you please come and give me something? I am thirsty. I got nothing to drink down here. I, I need your help, guys. And then finally they come and they lower a rope down to him. And they say, come on up, Joseph. And finally, Joseph's like, oh, thank the Lord. And Joseph comes up out of the cistern and, and, and he, he starts hugging his brothers. And he says, thank you, guys. I'm so sorry. And then they take him and they say, here you go. And then they, Joseph sees these Midianites put 20 shekels of silver into his brother's pockets. And Joseph then gets wrapped in a chain and he gets carried off. And Joseph thought that he was finally free, thought that they changed their mind. But actually, no, they did something much more cold. They did something much more indifferent. They sold their own flesh and blood as a slave. And you know how wicked this is. Because as the nation of Israel grows and they come into the promised land and they establish laws and rules, one of those laws and rules is that you cannot enslave a fellow Israelite. For they are your brother. They are your sister. This is a harsh world. It's a world where we see lots of indifference. I mean, I, I got to be honest with you guys. Sometimes I even struggle with indifference because we live in a world now where we're bombarded with all the most horrible things that are happening at all the time. On the news, 24-7. You can hear about all the people who are dying in Ukraine. At the same time, you hear about little kids getting shot in a school in Texas. And it can be overwhelming to hear about all of these horrible things that are happening. And that's not even all the things that are happening. It can be so easy to just shut it off and to say, I have enough problems in my own life to deal with. 
Maybe many of us have even experienced indifference from others. We were hurt. We were wounded. And we went to them and we told them, what you said really hurt my feelings. What you did really bothered me. And they could care less. No sense of repentance. No understanding of their own wrongdoing. No care, no sympathy. Indifference is a reality in this broken world. It's a reality that we're all going to face. It's a reality that Joseph himself experienced from his very own family. The question is not, are we going to experience indifference? The question is not, are we going to experience it? The question is, what are we going to do with it? How are we going to respond to it? That is the question we have to answer. And Joseph also experiences something else. He experiences the frustration of human salvation. If you read many of the Psalms, you'll find a reoccurring pattern. One that encourages entrusting oneself in the Lord and not in princes and not in horses and not in armies. And the reality for that is because the Lord is the Savior, the victory belongs to Him. And any victory that's not founded upon the Lord, any victory that is not based in Him, will not last. Any Savior that is not Jesus cannot save us as we need. And Joseph experienced that. He may not have even known what his brother Reuben was seeking to do. But when Reuben heard that the brothers were trying to kill Joseph, he sought to rescue him, verse 21, from their hands. And he said, let's not take his life. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. And he said this to him because they thought maybe they would just leave him in the cistern to die eventually of starvation or exhaustion or dehydration. But Reuben was going to come back later when all the brothers were not away we're not with them, we're gone, to rescue his brother and to bring him back to his father. And so we're not sure exactly what Reuben did, but as the, the brothers were all gathering around to eat, Reuben went off and did something, maybe arranged to figure out some sort of way to, to, to get Joseph out of this situation. But when he returned, he realized that the brothers had taken him and had sold him into slavery. And so what did Reuben do? Did he say, oh no guys, I'm sorry, but I have to go and I have to say exactly to uh, Jacob what you have done. I'm going to say to our father that you have done this horrible, wicked thing and I'm going to confess to him so that he can deal with you in the way that you must be dealt with. Maybe we can seek down those 
Midianites and say, hey, we'll buy him back twice the price. Let's go back on that deal. We don't want to do that deal anymore. No, he says, well, my only way out of this to look good is gone now. And so I'm in with you guys. I'm stuck, I guess. Not only that, but Reuben, even though his intentions might have been better than his brothers in seeking to save Joseph's life, he had a fear of men. Judah had a more convincing speech than Reuben. Judah said, hey guys, let's not kill our brother. Let's not have his bloodshed on our hands. Let's sell him into slavery. What does Reuben do? He seeks to save Joseph in secret so as not to turn his brothers against him. He's a politician, unlike his younger brother Joseph, who is a prophet. He wants to look good. He wants to do the right thing and look good at the same time. And brothers and sisters, that's hard to do. The frustration of human salvation is it will always let you down. If you put your trust in a candidate, they will fail you. If you put your trust in the government, they will let you down. There is no human savior, no totalitarian government, no powerful enough individual or celebrity with enough money to do what we need done to save us. A human savior will always frustrate you, will always let you down. Reuben let Joseph down. How many human saviors have let us down? If we make our spouse our everything, they let us down. If we make our favorite preacher on YouTube our everything, they let us down. If we make our country everything, idolize him and glorify him. She will let us down. Human saviors are insufficient. We need a savior who can save us both body and soul. And that can only be our God who brings everything into our life, not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. What about this last point, the father who cares? Right now, at this point, we could be examining Joseph's life and we could be saying he's in a bad spot. He had these great dreams, but he could beginning. He could be starting to doubt those dreams, the reality of those dreams. He could be beginning to say to himself, they're just dreams. They're nothing. They're not important. He could be starting to dwindle. His faith begins to dampen. Nobody cares about him, he says. Not his brothers. Nobody 
Nobody is caring for Joseph. Yet we see at the end of this chapter someone who deeply cares for him. When the brothers came back, having dipped Joseph's robe in blood and tearing it up, they gave it to their father, and he recognized it, and he said, It is my son's robe. And he came to the conclusion that some beast had devoured him. And then Jacob tore his clothes in anguish, put on sackcloth, and mourned his son for many days. And he mourned so long that his sons and daughters came to him and said, Stop it with this. And he said, No, I'm going to mourn till the day I die. As inappropriate as Jacob's favoritism may have been, and the many ways that caused disunion and destruction in his family life, the display that we are given here at the end of the chapter is that Jacob was a father who cares deeply. And we've got to ask ourselves, too, if we experience the weight of wickedness, something that we've done in our lives, we carry it with us, and we're still carrying it to this day, and it is a great and heavy burden. My understanding is the only way that we're going to confess that to those that we may have hurt or to those that are, are, are affected by what we may have done, or the only way that we're going to confess that to God is if we believe God is a Father who cares. Who's going to accept us despite our flaws? Who's going to give us a Savior in Jesus Christ to take away the guilt and shame of our sin? Who's going to accept us no matter what, even if people abandon us because of what we confess and what we say happened in our lives or what was done to us or what we did to others? But there's a Father who cares. And my, my understanding, too, is that when we, in this world, experience the indecency of indifference from others, deep hurts that we have experienced, and those who hurt us don't care, and they could care less. And we see the, the indecency of indifference all over our country and our world. And it pains us. But the way that we're going to overcome that hurt, that feeling that nobody cares, that is such a core feeling for us, one that we may have experienced even into our early childhood years, as if we believe there is a father who cares. There is a father who is with us. There is a father who, as the Psalms say, bottles up every one of our tears. That in heaven there is no more mourning, for every tear is wiped away, but there's also a museum where every single one of us can go and look at the bottles labeled. This is the moment you experience this hardship. This is the moment that you experience this hurt. This is the moment you experience this pain. And when God, when we know that God sees our hurt, 
He really sees us and he experiences that pain and that suffering in a mystical way. That our Savior, Jesus Christ, came into this world and was a man acquainted with suffering and sorrow. That knew what it was to struggle and to have sorrow and grief. That the way that we're going to heal from that is that if we know we have a Father who cares... Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. See, everything in life comes to us not by chance, but by God's fatherly hand. We see that because the very last verse of this chapter. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. We are given a snapshot of the trajectory Joseph's story is on. We know what comes of that story that Joseph must go to Egypt, that Joseph must go to Potiphar, that Joseph must be sent from Potiphar to prison, that Joseph must go from prison to the right hand of Pharaoh so that he can be the one who is going to store up all the food that he might save those who would come to him. Many people alive that he might save the nation of Israel from whom comes the Savior, Jesus Christ. Joseph might have in this moment when he was sold by his brothers into slavery doubted the word of God, but as his life continued on and the trajectory he went on, his strength, his faith grew. He believed those dreams and that they would come true and even as he was being carried off to Egypt as a slave, he held on to those promises He held on to what those meant. And if there is one one person we could point to that maps onto what I've been talking about this morning, it would be Jesus Christ, our Savior. Maybe some of us have done something that we think in our minds is so horrible, no one would ever forgive us if we really told the truth about it, if we confess to it, that we're going to take that with us to our grave. Maybe we're struggling with our need to confess that and how we can do it, and maybe we're, we're hoping that maybe we can manage it in some way so that the outcomes could be under our control and in, in circumstances that we can decide on. But if there is one person in human history that has experienced the total weight of wickedness, guilt, and shame, it is Jesus Christ our Savior when he was on the cross and he became sin for us. So that he could take the weight of wickedness, guilt, and shame away from us. If there's somebody who experienced the indecency of indifference in our world, it would be Jesus Christ. Imagine you created this world and everything in it, 
All its beauty, all its glory, all its people, they're made in your image. And you decide one day you're going to come down and you're going to visit. And when you come down for a visit, nobody cares. Nobody, does, nobody knows who you are. It doesn't matter to them. In fact, it's not just that they don't care. It's that they don't like you. They don't like you so much that they're going to get you killed, murdered. They don't want you in the world anymore, the world you created. They want you out of it so they can rule it. They can decide what it's going to be. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. If there is a man who came into this world, and he experienced people who said, we just don't care. It is Jesus Christ. But what did he do with that indifference that he experienced? The book of Hebrews tells us that he set his gaze upon the cross, knowing that was always the journey he was going to take. With the joy set before him. That is that Jesus knew his path in this life was the path of humiliation, was the path towards the cross that he was going to experience the weight of wickedness, the people who did horrible things to him, that he was going to experience the indifference of those who did not care about his presence. But he was going to walk that path, even though that path led to the cross where he would die, because what was beyond the cross was worth the cost. What was beyond the cross was worth the cost, because what was beyond the cross was Jesus Christ. Entering into the throne room of his father who cares. And who ordered every single one of his steps. That came about not by chance but by his fatherly hand. So that the culmination of all that Jesus experienced. The wickedness at the hand of others. The indifference at the hand of others. Would result in Jesus' glorification. And the salvation of all those who were his. And if you, if you this morning need to know, is there a God who cares, whom I can confess my guilt and shame to so that I can throw off this weight of wickedness. And even though I've experienced the indifference of people from other people that they don't care, is there a Father in heaven who cares? Well, I want you to do something. I want you to not trust in any human salvation. I want you to trust and the salvation provided through the God-man, Jesus Christ. Because <clears throat> the greatest expression of God's care for us is that when he looked down upon us in the midst of our sin and our wickedness and our indifference towards him, he said, I'm going to send my son to live the life you should have lived die the death you deserve to die so that you can live with me and my son forever. So that you can be my child and I can be your father. And I hope that shows you how much I care. And that's important for us to know because if that is the path of our Savior's life, 
He says to us, we will experience that same path. So you understand that when Joseph experienced the wickedness of his brothers and their indifference, when Joseph experienced the frustration of human salvation that was incomplete and did not provide what he needed, and he turned to a father who cares, his humiliation led to his exaltation. The path of the cross he went on in slavery led to him being king in Egypt. And that is the same for us. So if you experience wickedness at the hands of others, if you have experienced the indifference of others, if you've experienced the weight of your own sin and shame, come to the Savior. Walk the path of the cross knowing that at its end is glorification. A life forever with Jesus and with God in heaven. Amen. We pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that everything in life comes to us not by chance but by your fatherly hand. May we trust that even when wickedness is done to us and even when we commit wickedness, even when we experience the indecency of indifference, or the letdown of human salvation. We have a Father who cares for us, who's ordering our steps, and who has given us a perfect salvation in Jesus Christ, our Savior. We pray, Lord, that we would entrust ourselves to you in the good and in the bad, knowing that this life may be a humbling experience but the life to come. You will exalt us and glorify us that we would sit with Jesus Christ at your right hand, ruling and reigning with him. It's in his name we pray. Amen.